This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. Well, as you all know, spring is the season for graduations and convocation ceremonies. There are a lot of families out there now getting ready for all the excitement of graduation, the preparations. Dave, you must remember it well. I know I did. Now, my era was before they had all those big dresses and you know the huge expense I think I bought mine at Miracle Mart (laughs) my dress (laughs) but it was what I wanted Uh, so I went out and got it myself anyway uh, there's a lot going on but there's a special graduation ceremony taking place this afternoon in Conception Bay South and I'll give you a hint about it today is International Guide Dog Day and to mark the occasion Brandon Joy and his black lab golden retriever Cross Cosworth are graduating from the CNIB's Guide Dog Class of 2022. That's taking place this afternoon. Brandon and Cosworth are one of 22 graduating partnerships right across Canada, and this afternoon's ceremony is taking place via Zoom because, of course, there are certain restrictions still in place. But what are guide dogs? What do they do? How are they trained? How are they selected? Well, my guests today will help to answer some of those questions. They include President of CNIB Guide Dogs and Vice President of International Affairs, Diane Bergeron. Hello. Hello, Linda. And Manager of Guide Dog Training, Ben Francis. Hi. Hi, Linda. Nice to be with you. Thanks for joining us. So uh, I guess, Diane, we'll start with you and, and some of the basics. What is a guide dog? So a guide dog is a specially trained, wonderful creature. Uh, They are dogs that are uh, selected and trained specifically to provide guidance, uh, assistance, and support to someone who is blind or partially sighted. And um, I myself have have my own CNIB guide dog. Her name is Carla. And she's a beautiful golden retriever who will be four years old in June. So um, it, it is a transformational experience for someone who is blind or partially sighted to get a guide dog to help them with their mobility and to get around and guide them through daily life. It's, it's uh, freeing and provides a lot of independence. And I want to get into some of, you know, uh, the impacts of guide dogs on a person's life uh, in a little while. And it's good to know that you have this experience with Carla. But um, how does a guide dog differ from other service animals, for instance? So a guide dog is, is uh, their job is to guide specifically. Um, a lot of service animals uh, are trained to obey a command. So to find something, to touch something, to pick something up, that type of thing. The the difference with guide dogs is that they are also trained to um, disobey a command, which is what we call intelligent disobedience. So for someone who has a, a guide dog and is crossing a street, for example, If you tell your dog forward and there is a vehicle coming, the dog is trained to disobey the command and not move until it is safe to go. So it's one of the things that that has a little bit differing um, techniques on how to train and so on and so forth for a guide dog from other service animals. That's amazing. 
So I imagine there's a big process involved in, in trying to discern which animal is right for, for the job in that regard, and we'll talk to Ben about that in a minute. But um, I wanted to ask you, because you, you're also talking about buddy dogs, which is a slightly different concept. What is a buddy dog, and how do they differ from guide dogs? So just like humans, uh, dogs have uh, certain temperaments, certain skill sets, and, and um, personalities that are suited for different careers. And so in at CNAB Guide Dogs, we have more than one option. Um, if the dog is not suitable for whatever reason, could be temperament, could be health, could be uh, other um, body sensitivities to harness and so on and so forth. If, if the dog isn't suited because of those reasons, then they could potentially be a buddy dog for our program, which is where the dog is matched with a child or youth with sight loss to help them to learn the responsibility of um, taking care of a dog, grooming, relieving, um, feeding, and so on. And it also helps them to get out and have more social time outside. It, it, it helps for them to make friends, to have a dog with them, and so on. So. It, it's an extra uh, little piece of time for them also to spend learning about the dog so when they're old enough to get their own guide dog, they'll be better prepared to, uh, to move into that new, uh, that new partnership. Yeah, because there's a lot of responsibilities on both ends there, isn't there? Absolutely. And kids, being kids, of course, they're going to be super excited to have a dog, so they have to understand that there's a lot of responsibility involved in that as well. Yes, exactly. And this, I have heard from a lot of um, buddy dog handlers and their families that this has really been something that completely helps build their confidence and get them out more. And and uh, they've made a lot of friends because, of course, a lot of people see the dog and they come and approach and, and they get talking to folks. So it's been it's been a very good program for, for our children. This is International Guide Dog Day, and our jumping-off point, of course, is this graduation ceremony taking place in CBS this afternoon. And when we come back after the break, I'm going to bring Manager of Guide Dog Training, Ben Francis, into the conversation to uh, figure out and find out how these dogs are selected. Coming back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. This is International Guide Dog Day, and uh, this afternoon, Brandon Joy is graduating with Cosworth, a male black Labrador golden retriever cross in CBS, and uh, we'll be watching that graduation ceremony via Zoom. My guests today on On Target are President of CNIB Guide Dogs and Vice President of International Affairs, Diane Bergeron, and Manager of Guide Dog Training, Ben Francis, and I wanted to bring you in the conversation now, Ben. How is a guide dog selected? Yeah, very good question, Linda. Thank you. Um, it's nice to be with you today. And, and, and selecting a guide dog is uh, obviously crucial to the success of our program and, and having dogs out there working, uh, fulfilling their duties. Um, and it really starts with uh, a number of things. Obviously, the breeds of dogs that we use. Um, Labradors and Golden Retrievers are our mainstay when it comes to the types of dogs that we use. And now I'll get into some reasons in a moment for that. Um, but labs and goldens are, are just absolutely wonderful animals. And, and not only selecting those breeds, but, uh, but the breeding itself is really important. So CNIB Guide Dogs has acquired most of its dogs um, from, of all places, Australia, where there is um, a, a facility set up there called Career Dogs that uh, provides 
uh, guide dogs specifically bred um, to provide to schools around the world. And uh, with us being um, a new, a fairly new um, organization on the scene as far as the guide dogs are concerned, um, we were able to take advantage of acquiring dogs um, through career dogs and um, and bringing them into our program. So the dogs we're receiving are Labradors and Golden Retrievers, which are, um, to start with, fantastic animals. They're adaptable to, uh, to varying um, changes going on in their lives, whether it's a change of environment or handler or routines. Um, they're willing animals. They're very intelligent. Um, they're a good size. And, uh, and particularly for Canada, they have a, a wonderful coat, a double-layered coat, which um, enables them to, uh, to shed in the warmer months of the year um, so that they can stay a little bit cooler. And in the winter months, their coat can bulk up a little bit. So if we uh, end up placing dogs in cooler climates, particularly up north, um, then, uh, then they, they can certainly manage in those types of environments. Um, as well, uh, they need to be socially acceptable. Um, these dogs obviously have special privileges. If they uh, come through our program and they're successful as guide dogs, um, they will be allowed special rights into uh, all sorts of public settings, including restaurants and stores and airports and, um, and shopping malls and all those types of places. So they need to be um, very well behaved and uh, you know, exceptional dogs in those types of situations so that um, people aren't going to become... Um, intimidated by their presence or nervous around them uh, when they're in those types of areas. I think um, labs in particular, there's something, oh gosh, there's something about them. You just immediately feel at ease. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, they're so friendly by nature, you know, and, and that can be a bit of a detriment at certain times in controlling for a guide dog because if if, um, if they get given too much attention, then they can start to look for that attention. So that's why, obviously, one of the golden rules when you're around a guide dog is to keep your hands off and try not to interfere with the dog while it's working. Um, and that's one of the one of the first things that a, a new guide dog handler will learn um, to to advocate for is that people around them as much as possible try to leave the dog alone when it's in harness. So, uh, how do you select a puppy? Because all puppies are rumbly, tumbly, silly, you know, running around doing their thing. Are you able to you know hone in on qualities within a puppy, or do you train them? Yeah, they're, they're absolutely trained. Um, so to start with, obviously, the, the, the parentage is, is carefully selected, and, and generally the parents are, um, are dogs that have proven uh, to have given um, successful guide dogs in the past. Um, so, so that lineage is definitely very important. And, and when dogs are, are bred and we have a litter, um, they'll all enter into what we call a puppy raising program, which is where they'll stay with a volunteer family for the first 12 months of their lives. And they're taught basic socialization and obedience and things like that. And, uh, and we're continually assessing the dog's temperament along the way and how well it adapts to all the changes and how well it learns and all that sort of stuff. So all of the dogs that are bred specifically for us are put into that puppy raising program. Um, we don't, unless there's any real health issues or major temperamental issues noticed in the first eight weeks, all of the dogs that we breed will be, um, or that are bred for, excuse me, um, are put into that puppy raising program and then continually assessed for about a year long period before they're brought into formal training. Um, at our campus in Carleton Place, Ontario. Well, the puppy raising, does that take place in Australia or are they brought over here at a very early age? How does that work? 
Yeah, so they're brought over at about eight weeks of age, typically. Um, we have had in the past some um, a, a small handful of dogs that were raised in Australia and brought over a little later, but, but that was uh, due to some flight restrictions during COVID and things. Typically speaking, they're brought over at quite an early age um, and given straight to a puppy raising uh, family from there. And then we have supervisors um, that will um, help to, uh, to support those families in, in uh, rearing the puppies appropriately and socializing them and making making sure that they're doing all the right things at the right times with the dogs. So this idea that most of these come from Australia surprises me. I wasn't aware of that. I know that there's a you know, great demand for uh, guide dogs and that there are some barriers there, and I want to get into that a little bit more uh, later on in the show. But um, I didn't realize that most of them come from Australia. Are there opportunities to, to do more breeding here in Canada? Yeah, absolutely. And and through COVID, that's kind of forced our hand a little bit as well in terms of um, being able to get dogs and, and acquiring dogs for our program with flight restrictions and things. Um, it has been difficult for us to bring dogs over as we originally were from Australia. Um, so though we still are doing that, we have reached out to some breeders across Canada and, and purchased some um, some uh, litters from them to bring into our program and we're at the stage now where those dogs are trickling into our training program um, with um, with some success so far so it's looking good uh, but the big takeaway is that um, or the big push I should say over the next little while is going to be the launching of our breeding program um, so we actually have some females in our program now who we're um, uh, very carefully assessing for um, for the program itself and to look at uh, using them as poten- potential broods um, so that we can uh, begin creating our own um, our own breeding program and managing our own uh, stock of dogs. I guess uh, when you were talking about how labs and uh, uh, golden retrievers are some of the ideal dogs for this, it doesn't hurt that they tend to have large litters. Yeah, absolutely. They don't always have large litters. You know, they can be quite small, but, uh, you know, it, it does help that uh, you can get some quite large litters, sometimes 10 plus in some cases. Um, so that definitely will help our program. And it's really a, that's where nature takes its course. And we keep our fingers crossed when the time comes. So you, you spoke about the puppy raising uh, side of things for up to a year. What then is involved in training? How long does that normally take? So yeah, once the dogs come in from the puppy raising program, they, as I said, they come to our, our canine campus in Carlton Place, Ontario, and they stay with us for anywhere between four and six months. So when the dogs come in for training, they're assigned to a specific trainer or guide dog mobility instructor, and they'll, the dog will work with um, that um, the person will work with that dog um, on a full-time basis, basically, for a four- to six-month period, if all goes well, um, starting with everything from just building a bond with a dog and establishing some basic obedience responses and things like that, things that have already been instilled in the dog at the puppy raising program, but then, you know, developing that relationship with the dog. And then we're, we're in a good position, usually after the first uh, two or three weeks or so, to begin uh, introducing some of the guiding tasks to the dog and teaching some of those tasks, um, you know, outfitting the dog with the harness so it gets used to moving around and getting comfortable, um, keeping everything as positive as possible so that the dogs are enjoying um, the experience the whole way through. And that's a really crucial part to our program um, is that the dogs are enjoying what they're doing uh, throughout. Um, and that needs to be consistent right throughout training as well as after the dog's qualified as a guide dog. It needs to enjoy what it does. Luckily for us, the breeds that we use, of very willing animals and 
in terms that, um, that they'd like to please the handler. So by giving positive reinforcement and praising your dog, uh, the dog certainly gains satisfaction and uh, a feeling of accomplishment, I think, from, from uh, teaching our handlers how to give that, uh, that proper level of praise. Are all guide dog trainees successful? And what happens to the ones that don't quite make it? Uh, no, not not at all. Um, so we're probably just over 50% successful with all of the dogs that come into our puppy raising program. Um, so um, whether it's health things or major temperamental issues that happen at puppy raising stage, they could be pulled from the program there, depending on what the case might be. Um, or when they come into training, uh, not all dogs are going to have what it takes. Um, we're, we're very selective about the dogs that move forward to become uh, guide dogs because they've got a big responsibility to fulfill. And we need to be very selective in that process uh, to make sure that uh, each dog that we send out is going to be able to sustain uh, its learned behaviors, that it's learned through training, and that it's also going to enjoy the work. If we have uh, any dogs that are too stressed with the work or just not managing the expectations that are put on the dog, then they're likely not going to succeed as a guide dog. So we have a couple of other streams that are possible for, uh, for dogs that aren't going to make it as a guide dog. And the first one Diane touched on earlier is a buddy dog. Um, so we have um, a member of staff who is a lead trainer for buddy dogs and ambassador dogs. So if we have a dog uh, that isn't going to make it uh, for the guiding program, we'll reach out to uh, this, this lady um, and speak, uh, speak to her and give her all the information about the dogs. And then the dog will be considered for either a buddy dog or what we call an ambassador dog. And we currently have six ambassador dogs uh, kind of pocketed around the country. And um, throughout COVID, we haven't had any out recently but we are just about to relaunch that program in a whole uh, updated way if you will um, so these are dogs that will be kept with handlers um, in regional areas that can go to um, events public events and things like that and and kind of educate the public about guide dogs and, and build awareness um, in various communities across the country so what's involved in the training you mentioned that uh, you'll train them on certain tasks what, what are the, some of those tasks yeah, so um, some of the main guiding tasks that a dog has is that it, it'll be taught to wear and be comfortable in a, a guide dog harness, which is a, a piece that fits around uh, kind of the dog's chest area, and it has a handle attached to the back of it, which is a solid handle that uh, the handler is able to hold onto with their left hand. And dogs are taught to walk along a sidewalk or along the side of a road and stop every time they come to an intersection. And they'll stop and they'll actually indicate where the curb edge will be. So that that tells the handler um, that they're at an intersection and they need to stop and, and wait for traffic and listen and uh, be cautious about uh, when they're crossing. Um, and from there, the dog is uh, will, upon command, cross the road and get the handler to the other side at the appropriate place um, on the up curb, if we call it, on the other side of the, of the, of the road crossing. So in, in that scenario, for mobility purposes, the dog's um, job is to get up to the intersection, to stop, await further direction from the handler, and then carry on uh, when they're told. And, and, and along that way, while the dog is in motion and the person is following close by, uh, the dog is taught to move around obstacles, uh, both stationary obstacles and height obstacles, as well as pedestrians and, and bicycle traffic and things like that. So the dog has to either slow down or steady in those circumstances um, and move around those obstacles as long as it's safe while leaving enough room for the handler so that the handler does not bump in um, to whatever the obstacle might be. 
So those are two of the main guiding tasks. And I would say a third really important task is for the dogs to find uh, specific objectives for people. So whether they're walking home from work, the dog needs to be able to find the front door, or whether whether they're walking down to the bus stop, the dog will indicate uh, where the bus bench might be or or a post. Uh, by stopping and indicating that by uh, by stopping in front of it, perhaps touching it with their nose, perhaps jumping up and reaching it with their paw, um, if the dog is really uh, motivated. Um, um, so those are some of the basic guiding tasks that a, a guide dog will do. That's extraordinary. And I want to talk to Diane when we come back after the break about her experience with Carla, how she works with Carla, how she got Carla uh, when we come back after this. This is International Guide Dog Day, and uh, we have a special graduation ceremony this afternoon. Uh, Brandon Joy is graduating with Cosworth, uh, one of uh, uh, the 16 guide dogs and buddy dogs that are graduating across Canada at this particular time. Um, so uh, our guests are President of CNIB Guide Dogs and Vice President of International Affairs, Diane Bergeron, and Manager of Guide Dog Training, Ben Francis, who we just heard from. We'll be back right after this. Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM Morning Show. And we're back. Uh, Today is International Guide Dog Day. My guests today are with the CNIB, President of CNIB Guide Dogs and Vice President of International Affairs, Diane Bergeron, and Manager of Guide Dog Training, Ben Francis. And Diane, uh, tell us a little bit about Carla. Sure. Carla is, um, uh, she's a golden retriever, a little bit on the reddish side, and she will be four years old in June. We've been partnered for about two and a half years now. Um, And she actually was named for Minister Carla Qualtro um, from the federal government to honor her with her work on the Accessible Canada Act and uh, so I'm very honored to have been the one partnered with that uh, with Carla. Is she your first guide dog? No, I, I've had guide dogs for uh, about 38 years. I'd like to say I was three when I got my <laughs> first one but that's not true. Um, so I've had uh, I've had dogs for many many years and and they've all been fantastic and and uh, really transformed uh, my life and and helped me to develop over the years in in my role. And that's what I was going to ask you. How have, you know, how have they changed things for you? How has life changed for you since acquiring uh, each of these guide dogs? Well, anybody who knows me today would uh, would say that they have no clue who I'm talking about. But when I was uh, in my later teens, as my sight started to deteriorate uh, more and more, um, I was very um, self-conscious. I was lacking in confidence. Uh, self-esteem and so on was low. And I really was uh, the type of person when I'd get on a bus and I would sit down with my white cane, you know, I would kind of stick myself into a corner and try to hide because so many times I'd hear people say, you know, to their to someone next to them, oh, there's that person's blind, that girl is blind. And, and so I really felt like I needed to just shrink myself. And then, um, and then I took the harness of my first uh, guide dog, who was also a golden retriever named Clyde, and um, started, you know, working with him. And suddenly everything changed. It, I was walking faster. I was, my confidence was building up. And nobody cared that I couldn't see. Their, their focus was on that dog. 
Um, and it was how beautiful the dog is, how cute he is. Look at all the things he's doing. Look how well-behaved he is and what that, what that blind girl can do with that dog as opposed to what I couldn't do because I didn't have sight. So the focus was removed off of my disability and was put on this wonderful creature. And it just allowed me to... Um, to build my confidence and my self-worth and, and so on. And, and it just completely transformed and changed my life. I was thinking about what you said there about uh, your teenage years and, and losing your sight. It had to be frightening. It had to be frightening not knowing what am I going to be able to do, what is happening right now, you know, and, and that wanting to retreat. I mean, it, the teenage years are tough enough as it is. And, and to have this animal now, your partner, draw you out of all of that. I, it, it's really, I, I can just imagine how transformative that must be. Yeah, it it was spectacular for me. Um, you know, not only do you have that, you have a companion next to you everywhere you go. So, you know, that feeling of fear sometimes of, you know, being out there walking by yourself and I'm, you know, you can get lost, you can get turned around. Um, all sorts of things can happen out there in the world. And when when you're blind, if you're if you're like me and you feel very um, lacking in confidence with your, your cane skills, um, which, you know, sometimes we're like that. We, we all have to have cane skills to get a dog. You can't just, you know, the harness. Dog doesn't fall out of the sky with the harness on and you just grab it and go. You have to have other skills ahead of that. But if you're lacking in confidence with that, um, having that animal by your side, I, I can honestly tell you that there's been a number of times in, in my life over the last 38 years where I've suddenly found myself where I don't know where I am. I've taken a wrong turn. I'm completely, um, completely lost and I can, you know, stop. And I've sat down on the curb and cuddled up with my dog and, you know, just felt the comfort of, okay, we're just going to take a minute, pull ourselves together, and then we're just going to get up and we're going to go and find our way back. And it's been such a good comfort to me. So that first guide dog you got, Clyde, what kind of a process did you have to go through? So getting a guide dog is definitely, uh, a, a, there's an application process. You first need to do orientation and mobility training um, to gain skills with your cane and learn how to navigate your environment and how to assess different um, environmental factors. So when you don't have sight, there's, you know, you're, the sounds around you, you have to determine the direction of traffic based on the sounds of the engines. Um, how to um, identify different areas, say within a shopping center, by the smells and the sounds that are going on around you or the, the flooring and the differences in the flooring. And there's all sorts of ways of understanding that. So you have to learn all of those techniques first. Once you have that understanding, if then you'd like to um, move on to getting a guide dog, you need to apply um, to the program. You need to have um, uh, an assessment done by a guide dog mobility instructor who can identify whether you have uh, all the skills that you need to get a dog and whether the dog is going to be safe in your home and your environment. We do have a responsibility to make sure that the animals are safe, so we do check to make sure that the dogs are going to be safe with the individual. And then once uh, once you're approved for a dog and uh, a dog is is found to be a good match for you, um, in, in various programs, in the in CNIB guide dog program, 
we either bring you into a class where we take you to a hotel with a few other students and we train you out of that main-based hotel uh, environment, or we do what's called domiciliary training where we bring the dog to you in your environment and train you with the dog. So, you know, you get to know the dog um, and then you work with your guide dog mobility instructor to slowly build up. You know, they don't they don't take you on the first day to the uh, to the um, metro system in Quebec or, you know, <laughs> it's it slowly get to know quiet environments and then you build up the skill sets from there. So does it take a while then for you to train with the dog that is selected for you or you're selected for the dog, however that works? Uh, and does it get, take a while to get into the rhythm with each animal? You've had a few now. Absolutely. Every dog is different. Every dog um, reacts differently to um, and communicates differently through the harness um, as to how they do things. Um you know, uh, for example, my, my last dog, Lucy, uh, her, one of her things, if I would tell her, for example, find, find the button at the corner, she would walk over, stand next to the, the pole and look up at the button and focus on it. And, uh, you know, you could just feel her, her head, find, follow her nose basically up the pole. There's the button for the pole for the audible signal. Uh, with Carla, uh, Ben, by the way, was Carla's trainer. And with Carla, I tell her, find the button, and she goes over, jumps up, and um, uses her paw to indicate where the button is. So each has a different way of communicating information, and um, so you have to get used to it. Um, Training 10 days to maybe three, four weeks, depending on how long, um, you know, whether you've had a dog before, how quickly the bond comes together, and, um, you know, what, what your abilities are. And, and sometimes we spend, we, we're very individual on that. But once you get that done, I'm going to say it takes another six months to a year of working with that dog to become a very good, um, solid, seasoned working team because it's definitely teamwork and um, you need to take that time to learn together. Diane, you mentioned how transformative this was uh, to to get a guide dog. I want to talk after the break um, about demand and the costs involved in uh, selecting guide dogs and getting them to the people who need them the most. When we come back after the break, this is International Guide Dog Day, and my uh, guest today are President of CNIB Guide Dogs and Vice President of International Affairs Diane Bergeron and Manager of Guide Dog Training Ben Francis. We'll be back right after this. Your VOCN. 2022 ECMA nominee for Media Outlet of the Year. This is International Guide Dog Day, and my guests today are President of CNIB Guide Dogs and Vice President of International Affairs, Diane Bergeron, and Manager of Guide Dog Training, Ben Francis. And I imagine there's a, a great cost in, in getting a do- guide dog. What's the demand like, Diane? So uh, right now, <laughs> right now, CNIB Guide Dogs has a significant um, list of individuals who are looking for a guide dog. During the pandemic and the closures from the borders, uh, Canadians who used to go to the United States to get their dogs um, from schools in the United States were applying to us. So we saw a 375% increase in demand. Um, in our program, and we're trying to get everybody a dog as quick as we can, but unfortunately, there's also a shortage of dogs right now due to pandemic puppies going out. 
so we're uh, we're trying really hard to do that. Um, at this point, CNIB Guide Dogs estimates that the cost per dog in our program is a minimum of $50,000. Um, we do not charge the individual for that. The dogs are completely free to all of our participants and all of the folks that we work with. Um, all of that money comes through charity into um, CNIB's charitable uh, fun funding processes. And um, so the, the $50,000 includes the cost of the dogs, their training, their food, and their veterinary costs. We continue to pay all veterinary costs for the, for the life of the dog and all of the food for the dog for the working life of the dog. Is um, that right? That's of, extraordinary. Yes. Yeah, one of our key principles is that we looked at the fact that currently in Canada, only about 31% of Canadians with sight loss have full-time employment, and we did not want finances to be a barrier to freedom and independence. Um, so we decided early on that one of our key principles would be to con to pay as much of the um, the food and vet bills as possible uh, for the entire life of the dog so people that are using them don't have to worry about that. Ben, once a guide dog, always a guide dog? Um. Not necessarily. No, I think we, uh, you know, typically the dogs that we're putting out are generally between 18 months and 24 months old. Uh, we do have a mandatory retirement date of 11 years old, but that's at its maximum. Sometimes dogs won't necessarily work that full length of time, depending on the, uh, the obviously the nature of the dog uh, and the environments that it works in. So if it's, um, you know, a dog that will inner city somewhere and has a quite a heavy workload and um, it might not be able to work through its later years in life up to uh you know through nine ten years old um so there could be a need to uh to uh, to retire the dog early in which case um uh the, the person who has the dog uh, would keep the dog just as a pet or have a, a friend or family member look after the dog from uh, from that point on unless they need uh, assistance in rehoming the dog uh, but no they the dogs are definitely given a retirement um in the later stages of their life which I think is important um, um, for them, for the safety of the team, really, so the you know the mobility can stay safe, and we're not asking uh, real elderly dogs to be uh, carrying on with the guiding work. So they get to retire. They do absolutely. And does the support uh, provided by the CNIB continue right through those senior years, or or does it end when the service ends? Yeah, at the, at the end, um, when, when the dog retires, if the person is going to keep the dog, then we do continue to pay for the veterinary costs of the dog. Uh, the food at that point would be put onto the person to uh, to begin paying for the food, I believe. Uh, so we talked a little bit about the demand and, and how much it changes lives. How important is it, uh, Diane, for people to support this cause? Um, you know, obviously, as a part of the program myself and, and as a handler, I, you know, I know and I feel and experience throughout my life the, the, the changes that, and, and the independence that this dog gives, gives me. And so I think that providing funding to help the, the, the CNIB Guide Dog Program is essential. We have so many people that are waiting for dogs. We have so many teams that we need to get out there and uh, help people improve their quality of lives. So it's really important that we get individuals to help support uh, to support our program. Um, I, I did want to also add, as Ben said, our dogs do retire, but a lot of people think that uh, 
when when we get home with our dogs that the dog stays in harness uh, 24/7 and and that's not true the dog has the harness on when it's out working um, out in in the world and when they get home that harness comes off and they are just as goofy as every other dog uh, family pet they get to play with other animals in the home they get to play with other family members um, and they get their free time so they're not they're not working 24 7 for sure oh and that's that's important to say too as well um, is there and uh, Ben sort of um, remarked on this uh, as did you but is there a special guide dog etiquette I know that I've spoken to people with the CNIB before and they, they always say please don't manhandle the dog I know he's gorgeous <laughs> <laughs> but you got to stay off of yes. him he's working right now yeah, I always tell people that she's the beauty, but I'm the brains behind the operation. Um, we, when you're working with a guide dog, it's very important that the dog be focused on their job. If you um, talk to pet uh, feed or in any way distract the dog, they lose focus on their job, and it can be very unsafe for uh, the handler. I have fallen downstairs. Um, I've had my dogs um, have issues in traffic because people have interfered with them in the process of their work. So it's extremely important that people uh, not interfere with the dog um, while they're working. If you come across someone who's, who's standing still with the dog, the dog sitting quietly beside them, it's perfectly fine to, to, to talk to the individual, ask questions if you want, and, and you can ask, is it all right if I pet your dog? Sometimes they'll say, yeah, you know, she's been really good today. She could, you know, she deserves to have a little scratch on the head and they'll give you instructions on what's okay. But, you know, maybe the dog's in training or the dog's having a particularly stressful day and it might be that the person will say, um, no, my dog's working right now. Please don't touch my dog. And, and we, we hope that people are not offended by that. But, you know, we as handlers know what our dogs can handle and what they can't. And I, I guess the hardest part there is training people because there's so, this irresistible urge to say, oh, my, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you often get those noises. Absolutely. People don't even articulate properly. <laughs> um, yeah. So how do people support? I know I've got this um, CNIB guide dogs calendar, and I, I got to say the dogs here are doing all the work. Uh, they're smiling at the <laughs> camera. They're looking very attentive and gorgeous and wonderful and intelligent and all the rest of it. Um, uh, how can people people support the CNIB? So we have several campaigns that are going on right now. We do have one campaign to help us expand our program. If people want to go and donate, they can go to cnib.ca slash gdurgent. So cnib.ca slash gdurgent to, uh, to make a donation. But we also currently have um, in, in uh, International Guide Dog Day is launching our third annual uh, CNIB Guide Dog Pup Crawl. Um, and that's pup with a, a P at the end, not a B. Um, and it is a virtual 5K walk, run, uh, crawl, hula hoop, dance, skip, whatever you want to do for five kilometers. You have from today until the end of May to complete the task it's on the honor system and it's to get people outside and get active um, and to just help raise a little bit of money for uh, for our program um, and um, we we this year have uh, for the second year in a row we have a matching donor who is going to match up to fifty thousand dollars 
uh, for donations coming in. And so last year, we our, our final raising of money was $112,000. we are hoping to beat it this year. Um, so people can go to cniv.ca slash puffcrawl to uh, register themselves or to support and donate someone else. You can create a team, uh, challenge other individuals, whatever you want to do. And then we'll be, um, we've got some uh, social media hashtag things that you can go out and, uh, and show off your dogs. We, we love it if you have a dog. Um, we ask you to put the name of your dog in there as well. And the dog, uh, when you get your, um, at the end of the event, you will get a medal in the mail for yourself and then a little tag to put on your dog's collar. They get their own medal. Um, and so they get to do the walk as well. Okay. Um, our race director this year is uh, from Newfoundland. Um, uh, Flynn, who is a buddy dog based in Newfoundland, is our race director. We always pick a dog to be our race director. And so you have our race director for this year. That's fantastic. Uh, we're completely out of time, I'm afraid. But Diane Bergeron and Ben Francis, I do appreciate your time this afternoon. And congratulations to Brandon Joy and Cosworth, who are graduating this afternoon in CBS. Uh, thank you both for joining me on the show today. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. And we'll be back tomorrow. Stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great day.